Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the marketing minds at doyouconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. As always, episode 138 with Jackie Lipinski. Thank you. It's 139. Oh, though. 139. We're, we're getting up there. Nine looks like an eight some days, especially on Thursdays, I suppose. Oh man, yeah, I just did a uh, I did an interview with Anya for her podcast this morning, and it was going to be episode 109. She let me know, and I was like, "Well, good job on getting past 100." I'm, I can't tell you the number of podcasts that I've really enjoyed, mm-hmm. where there's something that happens around episode 100 where they just stop, like 100, 101. I don't know if it's a mental thing with people or they just can't keep moving on. They're like, "I've done enough. I'm just going to give up." But it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to, to, to do this, even when we do minimal show prep, as we joke about here. So <laughs> that's a lot of episodes. Three years now, the right? Few. I think is that- that's the crazy. I think that the, the length of time is the crazy part. Like we could have gone on to like some other type of content. Right. How do we still have something to talk about? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> just happens. <laughs> well, oh, we man. do. And we have too much to talk about as always. So let's hop right into story time. It's one of those inside jokes of the program. You have, might have no context yet if this is your third episode as to why the heck did they play the office theme the office. song to enter in story time. <laughs> it's my Jackie, let's uh, let's start with you. What do you got? Nice. Well, yeah, this uh, this week, so there's the Market Proof Academy, you know, and I've been in building, home building for over six years. And I always saw like Market Proof Marketing Academy, like, oh, okay, that's where like the newbies go. Like I've been working with Kevin for five plus years. I don't, I don't need this. Like, and then one day I think I saw like Linnea and Beth Russell in it. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Like FOMO, I, should I be in this? And so, um, and so we're kind of just wrapping here up here today and I get it. And I thought I would be able to just play this in the background, get my DYC things done and nope, hyper-focused, trying to pay attention. Cause I think sometimes you, you get all the pieces of the puzzle, you know, in your meetings, Kevin, throughout the months. And then, but this is just, you're, you're building the puzzle together and you're like getting, I think a, a better overview of why everything goes together. And, and you can ask a ton of questions. You're with a bunch of people at either at your level or asking questions that I think that was the most interesting thing is you don't know what you don't know until someone else asks that question. And then you're like, oh, I didn't know how to look at it that way, but thank you for, for yeah. opening my eyes. And and I think uh, today we had a, a ton of great questions and, and I think the little homework assignments that people get are definitely um, scary. And I think one thing you mentioned too is like when <laughs> yeah. when you're, we're talking to people, it's like, and it's scary because it has to be for you to get this in your memory. And yeah, so we, I think when- People are always I nervous agree. to share in a group setting or to ask a question publicly. They want to just throw it in the chat. And I think it was on day one, we invited Melody up who's been fantastic throughout the whole thing. And and I just said, hey, everyone, just so you know, the reason I'm pulling some of you up in front is because emotion is the glue of memory. That's why you remember when traumatic things, good or bad, happen in your life, that you feel like you were, you can go back to that time period anytime you want. You remember it so well because of the emotion. And, and unfortunately, we only have so many emotions we can tap into when it comes to digital marketing. So there's there's gift cards as the as the positive, exciting, I could win something emotion. And then there's the, let's get you in front of everyone else. So the stress emotion kicks in and your, mm-hmm. <laughs> your heart palpitates, but you will never again forget where to click and what to do and how to think through a problem. So it's, yeah. it's super interesting also to me and Andrew both is when we have people like you in the past who have attended the class, we're kind of like, like why, the, why are they here for? 
They're, they're yeah. super smart. They know it all. And, um, and so it is also just encouraging to hear that kind of feedback, which has been consistent of, even if I've done this to some extent, there's always another layer that, you know, all of us at DYC here, we always take for granted. We kick off every session by talking about, like, we're going to talk about this as if it's rather straightforward and and direct. We also understand at the same time it's not. It's just that collectively, the Uconvert team puts over 10,000 hours in just these things that we're going to talk about over the next three days. Mm-hmm. And so, it, like anything, if you do enough repetitions of it, it becomes a lot easier to process. So. Yeah, I feel like this is self. We we never really talk about us on the podcast. So I, I feel <laughs> weird like and like 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 oh, this is weird. But like, I feel like the the academy, which is going on right now, it's a bit like you're watching, say, a sitcom or a movie. And in real life, you get like this five minute snippet of the movie or whatever it would be. And the academy is like, let's start at the beginning. Here's how the movie was made. Now let's watch it. Now let's review mm. it. And so you get this full context of. How, how does this type of ad format or this thing in analytics actually have its place? And but because you've watched three hours of the movie beforehand and then you get to yeah. watch afterwards, you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Even though you kind of probably knew how to do it before, it's just now you have the full context of using whatever that said thing is. Agreed, that, yeah. I sense a chance to try a new analogy here. Um, so there are shows but, that you watch where the entire like season one is just a constant flashback back to real time, back to some other flashback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't, I, I kind of enjoy that approach at times because that's just how my mind works. I have ADD. My wife can't, she cannot, it drives her nuts. We were watching a show, the, the Medici series on Netflix or in season one, and it's constantly going back and forth and it doesn't ever tell you in the subtitles or it's just like the dad's back. I thought the dad was dead, which he dies at the very beginning of the first episode. I didn't spoil anything, but but she's kind of like, what is he alive? Is, is he envisioning? I'm like, no, honey, it's a flashback. But it's kind of that same thing of in a coaching call, we're jumping around in all these different places. And so you, you're not totally lost, but you're also not necessarily always right there with, with where the leader of the call is. Whereas this is an opportunity to kind of just chronologically go from Google analytics to Google ads, to Facebook and interact and see how they all interact and all do report, but report differently and have different different use cases, and I think that's one of the things that really makes it helpful. Is it's it's a chronological order series yeah. versus one that's just jumping around all over the place. Yeah, and I think sure. I think the splitting up of days and doing it, I think what three four days now versus two intense days gives people time to look into their data, analyze things, and then just and realize what you know data areas you're missing or accounts you don't have access to. And so, no, it's, it's been great. And so, uh, yeah, it definitely was like, Oh, I'll passively watch this. And then I was absolutely, um, watching and taking my own notes. So that was fun. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Awesome. Andrew, you got anything? Just kind of piggybacking on that little thing. I think it's important to step outside of your own echo chamber. And I kind of do that with marketing by looking at other industries and, and talking with other people in marketing outside the industry. So I feel like I get that, but just this, the market Academy going on this week has really reinforced that. I think most of the people on the call, let's say they're working at a larger builder. And if they're only talking to those marketers that are within that larger builder, they're really only getting feedback within the mindset of said builder. And so going outside to other people and just connecting more, I think is the, one of the biggest things you could do for Mm -hmm. growing like your own knowledge, your own career. 
And Jackie, I know you do that. You have like these awesome meetings with other great <laughs> unicorns in the industry that secret, you, you secret set up. meetings, yeah. super secret meetings. But I think that's that's important. And all all of you guys are are awesome marketers. And I think part of that is because you have other people providing providing you this unbiased critical feedback from their perspective that is not your perspective. So getting that at the end, it's fun. I, I enjoy that. So it's yeah. good. Awesome. I, uh, in true story time fashion, I'm just going to talk about some things that happened, um, this week. And this is also from the beginning of one of the news stories we're going to talk, but these are things that were all said to me over the last, um, probably three, four weeks. Number one, we have a six week wait time from an appointment for an appointment due to demand. I talked about this prospects are connecting online and offering up to $200 to trade appointment times for something earlier. So, uh, paying money for an appointment, mm. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, also all sales are paused for 60 days to give production time to catch up. Uh, we need to cut expenses across the board and pause sales in order to try and regain profitability. That's kind of scary. That is scary. Especially for people who are continuing to sell. If, if you have a different approach to it, then you know, you're catching up, you're doing what you need to do. Every community can only sell one home a month until further notice. That seems unfortunately more common than you might expect. And, the most recent one, which was interesting, is we're going to close all model homes and only start inventory homes for the next 90 days. And those inventory homes will not be allowed to be sold until they reach drywall. That's a stories from the front 90 line. days. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what story time is about. And Ooh. then the philosophical me wants to just share two of my favorite tweets. Um, one is a quote from a gentleman named Ray Dalio, which um, has an amazing video that I shared with uh, a lot of the team here on how market dynamics work and financing. Oh, it explains why there are housing cycles. It's not about housing, but it explains why short-term and long-term debt creates cycles within industries. A Andrew, you, you give it a thumbs up. I give it a thumbs up. I listened to it over the course of three days of dropping the kids off at school. It was <laughs> like, like a 30-minute 30 30 drive. Yeah, 30 minutes. It's 30 minutes, but I'm like, 10 minutes here. But like to me, breaking that up over three days was mm -hmm. good because it's pretty much economics in 30 minutes macro, micro, like all of it in one human behavior, credit, debt, like a lot yep. of big words that you need to understand what is credit. And then you have to get, yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, I, I believe Ray is, runs the largest hedge fund or one of the largest hedge funds. So not that he's like really super popular in today's yeah, stress, stressful world, <laughs> but, but incredibly insightful guy. And, and some of his quotes also, I'm not sure are really his, maybe he's got like people running his account, but That's people. The, the one I really <laughs> like it and found practical application with in my entire career was, I just didn't have a way to say it this eloquently is listening to uninformed people is worse than having no answers at all. <laughs> and this is, I think I've said this before, Fair. but it used to drive me nuts when um, the president at Heartland Homes, which was a great guy, I enjoyed working with him over, over the years, but he always, especially the first year or two before he really started gaining more confidence in me and our process He'd want to ask everyone, including like his wife, like, what do you think about this marketing thing? And it's, you know, you're like, oh yeah, why, why are we asking, you know, the person who's in charge of starts, if this is a good marketing strategy or not, or do you think this is a good looking ad or not? It's just like, you're asking for people's opinions. And I've said this at, at every summit I think we've ever had. One of the most dangerous things you can do is ask for opinions from people whose opinions you don't really value. Which, which is kind of a habit that sometimes people get into. It's like, I, I, I want opinions, 
But if you're asked, once you ask someone for their opinion, you have to somehow validate that. And unfortunately, the default way to validate it is to actually act on that feedback or take it into full account or change your outcome. So you just got to be careful about who you're listening to, how informed they are. And I, I wasn't really planning on talking about it this way, but it, it does strike me with the market conditions. It is similar of listening to someone talk about how they're having unbelievable success as a builder doing anything right now at face value, just that one you know, conference metric alone that sounds very impressive. That is zero proof that they actually know what's happening or what's going on behind that, that metric. And then my other one, which is kind of meta, which I love, I love complexity and, and meta-ness. So, uh, and I think I made this one up. I don't, I don't, I believe this is a KO original, but not being scared oh, nice. is more important than being creative when it comes to being creative. I'll say it one more time. Not being scared is more important than being creative when it comes to being creative. And Jackie, you're, you have a design background. I have a design background. Part of what you learn in the process of being formally trained in art, uh, Carla, I think, would, would agree in the same way, is you learn to be bold and to put your artwork in front of people. You know, As a kid, you're taught, like, unless this looks like something that you've seen hang on the wall in a museum, you don't show anyone but your parents because it's ugly or it doesn't measure up. You've got to break out of that or you're never going to be a good designer if all you're doing is copying what you see other people do. And so there's this aspect of being creative often is just about pushing through the fear that keeps other people back. You know, writing an article, putting a post, shooting a video, very little of the content that's actually created on a daily basis is creative in any way. It's those people, though, are being creative by pushing through the fear and hitting the button, shooting the video, putting the content out there. I mean, heck, we've talked about this before. Like writing a book is one of the dumbest things you could ever do if it's about a topic that's likely to change at all. Because you're putting this thing into the world like pre-sale without fail, which is a great and useful tool, gives you a great framework. But in the current market condition, uh -huh, you might want to not do exactly what it says in there. Because, but, it, but it's a book; you can't change it. Anyway, that's I just that's love. good. That was meta when I was reading. I'm like, <laughs> what does this mean? But it's the first part. Not being scared is the. Mm -hmm. That's the important. Thing. That's the creative one. And that applies to how do we adjust to this crazy market? How do we go after new technology and implement technology the right way? Should we just add a buy it now button because everyone thinks they need one? Or should we be bold enough to say maybe the fastest, easiest answer isn't the best one and we should slow down and, and think through this a little bit more? All right. Yeah. Agreed. All right, anything you want to add there, Jackie? No. Oh, not me. Yeah, I was actually going to say, you know, I think we saw a builder who was just like, yep, we're pulling back everything 20%, doing mm -hmm. it, make it move. I know, you know, and I think that also is long, goes along with what we talked about, I think, earlier today in terms of people are scared to reduce their budgets because they know they might not have it next year. And so it's just like, mm, can't be scared. It, it might look like too aggressive of a move or, you know, yeah. scare people, but well, you just, you, and that one you're referring to, I think she, you know, she just emailed <laughs> just us again email. and said, uh, we cut our budget by 20%, but leads were increased by 15%. So yeah. fail. <laughs> what a fun problem. <laughs> she literally cannot, tried. she's tried everything. She cannot stop yeah. the leads wow. from coming. Demand. All right, let's move on into the news. And first up, Mike and Jen did a DYC live episode last week, uh, link in the show notes. It's all about uh, new market, new message, 
how to adjust and talk to consumers about the new craziness. It was, I believe, the highest attended or second highest attended live we've ever had because the topic is obviously incredibly important to everyone right now. What should online salespeople be saying? What should they be doing? I think it's about a 45-minute episode, uh, but definitely worth... I don't even want to try to summarize it more than that. just watch it if you haven't watched it. You need to go it. see it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And we and we broke it down in the, the notes there too if someone doesn't have time, but definitely worth it. Yep. All right. And then the main topic for today, although we do have two other small kind of fun things that we might get to, is an article written by a guy that makes me... I don't like... It, it is <laughs> the definitive guide to priority list in 2021. This is the full <laughs> self-hype episode, apparently, Andrew. Like you said, we normally yeah. don't, don't like to do this. You, but, even said def- you even said definitive in there. I mean, that's... This is it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the goal anyway, is for this goal. to be a live document where we can keep. Uh, so everything listed in here is, is again, not good or bad or my my take on that as much as it is just this is everything I've heard of anyone trying to do right now, trying to be a definitive resource for teams to get together and talk around this idea of trying to get our arms around the crazy sales uh, volume and demand in front of us. And Again, what's what's interesting is Jackie reached out a couple minutes before the episode was supposed to start. We had other things on the docket for the news today. She's like, actually, um, mm. you know, over ten percent of our website traffic, almost six hundred people, for this article over the last thirty days. But the article's only been up for two days, so maybe we should maybe this is resonating enough <laughs> yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, this is important. A little bit more in depth. Yeah, and I think I hope anyway. My secret hope is that the reason this is viewed so much is because a bunch of people are sending it to other people they work with in their management teams. Because again, the whole idea is let's slow down, let's talk about this, let's come up with a plan. The most important thing is to have a plan. And again, that's not necessarily right or wrong. The most important thing after that, having a plan is to execute properly around it. Any of these things could be totally screwed up and done the wrong way. So let's just talk about really what's driving the need to, to kind of control sales in some way, uh, control sales, improve the customer experience, lots of different ways to think about it. But at the end of the day, it comes down to profitability of each sale. And that was the first, first interesting thing as I was putting this together. Because uh, we started with the Clubhouse talk on this topic almost a month ago, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like. Uh, we're yeah, like 50 nine of o'clock you at night, hopped on <laughs> for a really long time. And we hung out and um, I kind of had drafted an outline of this idea. And then the Clubhouse talk actually just, you all crowdsourced Uh, some of this thinking. But the one thing I did add as I was finally putting pen to paper was it struck me that in 2008 and through 2010, during the Great Recession, we were also talking about profitability of sales. But that was because it was so hard to become profitable because there was no demand. So sales managers and salespeople were negotiating with their own company on a continual basis of, I got a live one here and they say if we give them a free fridge, they'll buy. And, and there was just a constant number crunching. Everyone who had done the work of setting up systems with, with having ways to, to know their costs better and, and be prepared, it was just constant scenario crunching of, okay, if we give them this, we do this, that how does the margin work out? Because in a down market, it's all about gaining market share because the market itself, the size of the market is shrinking. So unless you want to shrink with it, and everyone always talks about the rising tide lifts all boats, well, the dropping tide drops all boats too, unless you steal market share. That's the only way to maintain or to grow is to get every sale possible, uh, 
but it still has to be profitable. And so there's this intersection of now we're also uh, somewhat negotiating with ourselves, meaning please let us keep selling homes. If you're a sales manager, please let (laughs) us keep selling. But now operations is coming back and saying, yeah, but the profit, the cost, there's so many things that we can't predict. And so at the end of the day, that's really the only thing that's that's the same between the Great Recession and the best housing market ever. But it's, it's a combination of these things that a company and an owner has to weigh, and everyone's going to weigh it differently, which is going to lead you to a different final end result. The first is home site availability. If you're not an on-your-lot builder, you don't have to worry about this one at all. If you're an on-your-lot builder, you don't have to worry about availability. <laughs> okay. But generally speaking, you don't want to... the technical word, uh, I'm joking, but this is the word everyone uses, is gap. You don't want a gap on your home sites. What that means is you run out, you have more that are coming, you know they're there. Uh, If you don't have them, then you just ran out of home sites. If you have more coming and you know there's a finite period of time, three months, six months, nine months, or a year, in that community or in that municipality, that's called a gap in home sites. And that's especially painful because it's it's like seeing light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know if this analogy made it into the article or not, actually. It's like seeing light at the end of the tunnel and trying to hold your breath as you're going through that tunnel. You know, It all works if you make it through, but if you don't, you pass out and crash into the wall. Or in this case, you have to let people go from your company. You have to sell off other assets. You have to do other things to reduce costs, which then makes it harder to get back to the speed you want to go when you get those home sites or you reach the end of the tunnel, right? So... Do I shut down this model or do I keep it open knowing that in nine months I'm going to have more home sites coming? Do I keep that salesperson in this community or do I let them go, release them back into the workforce and try to rehire a sales for, salesperson in nine months? Those are are not fun decisions to have and, and really jerky from emotions uh, standpoint in an organization. So you're just constantly draining money until you get those additional home sites on. So you want to pace yourself and then the other thing with home site availability is, is the cost of replacing home sites is more expensive. And everyone thinks about, again, oh, so much money in this industry. The product's so expensive. My boss drives a Land Rover. Like money must never be a challenge here. But the majority of the money you make as a builder is reinvested into the next property. And if that next property is always slightly more expensive, or in this case, in the current market, dramatically more expensive, it's, it's only more painful. So that's the first one. The other ones will go through much faster because they're more self-explanatory. Costs, margins, profitability. You want to make money. You have to be able to predict your costs. Customer experience and the product quality. I think most builders, unfortunately most, still don't really care about this. They talked about it a lot for the last couple of years and maybe went to conferences and writ, wrote and pledge and mission statements, whatever. At the end of the day, Mm, this is kind of number five out of these five risk things that that builders unfortunately are worrying about, especially those who aren't limiting uh, or controlling the sales volume in any way. The next one that sales managers and VP of sales are definitely freaking out about is sales team psychology and compensation. Like if if we tell salespeople they can't sell another home, they're just going to leave or they're going to become disgruntled. And then the last one, um, which I don't think you should be worried about at all, it, but but people do. If I slow down sales, then someone else is going to get those sales. And you hear a lot of like, I just want to grab all the sales I can. We're not going to we're going to gain market share by accepting as many contracts as you want. That's actually a really bad idea in the best housing market ever. 
and my example is to look at, I forget, I'm going to make up a number, but I'm almost positive it's still correct. Even though right, I'm see. just telling you all I'm making it up. I think 20% or more of home building companies went out of business that existed in 2006 to 2007. I think around that number or more went out of business in 2008, 2009, and 2010. And the majority of those businesses that that lost were they tried to gain market share in an up market dramatically by by making less money on each home. But then when the market turns and the volume drops, you can't make up from that lack of profitability on each home with volume anymore because the volume's not there. So now you just sell a small amount of unprofitable homes. <laughs> or a smaller amount. It doesn't work. So those are the things that everyone has to balance as we before we talk about the um the seven different ways that people are currently trying to find that balance. Those are the risks that people have to think about as a team. My questions are so we have these these five categories as far as that are are, are essential. This is my bias in my brain. I feel like when any choice is made, something has to be given priority. Yep. Something has to be sacrificed. Absolutely. Something has to be in first place, second place, third Correct. place, fourth. Everything yep. can't be the most important. Mm -hmm. um, and I know all this, this is kind of like it's builder to builder. There is no blanket statement. But in the day, we need to be profitable is the objective. If we're not profitable. Why are we doing this? We can't mm -hmm. afford anything. And we're just delaying the in inevitable. Of these five, this is a hot question. Which is the <laughs> least important to place priority on? Like if there could be an order of these five which one should be last place or among the Yeah, no, I can I can tell important. you the the two that should be in last place is the competition gaining market share like I said that just shouldn't be a thing that you're thinking about. You should be okay. in the best market ever. You want to be able to raise your price and be as profitable as humanly possible because you can only sell every home site once. If there's nothing else I learned by 2 years as a as a market manager which in their case is someone who has division presidents reporting to them. One thing I learned is you can only sell every home site once, so maximize the profitability on each one whenever possible, while also maintaining yep. the volume that you need. Number, the, the second one from the bottom that, that you shouldn't be as worried about is the sales team psychology and compensation, because I think that's addressable. And I didn't talk about this in the article, but if your sales team, if all you ever talk about and this would be wrong currently, is we need to hit our number. My One of my old bosses used to always say, come hell or high water, we're going to sell you know, 40 homes this month. If that's the only number that you ever talk about and you've never talked about customer satisfaction, you've never talked about weekly touch points and communication and the customer journey and reviews and scorecards of other things, then yeah, of course, everyone's going to... You, you took away their only scoreboard. The only thing that they know proves that they did their job well or not. And so I think obviously there are there are there's still going to be challenges, but you can make a new scoreboard. Yep. You can come up with a new compensation program. Everyone's not going to like it, but let's be honest, there's about 20% of every sales team that the sales manager wishes they could kind of make a change <laughs> round 2. <laughs> so I think those should be the bottom two without a doubt. Yeah. And obviously, I think number one should always be the customer experience and product quality. The challenge there is you have to have patience for that to truly be number one. And that I can say as, as a company at Do You Convert, that is our number one is the customer experience and the product quality of the service we're providing. 
But that means that we couldn't go from working with zero home builders to 50 in a year. It would not have been possible. You have to be patient. And that's really hard for public companies to do. To have customers truly in first place when you're a court, you know, you have to give quarterly results. It's possible. It's just just highly unlikely. Yeah. It's it seems like you could, depending on how you prioritize these, you're in essence trading. This goes back to the economics video. You're trading a future. You're, you're sacrificing your future for the, the yep. now. Like, Absolutely. okay, I, the sales team is most important. I want to make sure they get their X percent. They need to be making this much money. They made this much in 2020. I will lose them if they deviate too much from whatever income they made in 2020. Okay, so you make them happy. You let sales keep continuing, but then product quality goes down. So in 2024, 2023, you have a significant amount of reviews that are not so happy. And then sales are lower. Now marketing's more expensive. So you're just swapping the mm-hmm. revenue and issues around to be now or in the future is my interpretation of, of how the, this puzzle piece. This is another blog post. Go ahead, Jackie. Yeah. And I was going to say, I actually sp- experimented with a uh, customer experience role where their whole job was, you know, you get X amount of money, make the customers happy, blah, 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 blah. The problem yeah, I think you were is- saying like they were, they were buying baby presents for people if they yeah, got, yeah. Had it, was, a job it was supposed to be an, an, yeah, it was supposed to be like an elevated customer service experience. And I don't think that's what we're talking about. If you got, you know, there's a company listening to this right now. Um, the problem with that position is the person couldn't answer questions about homes. We brought them in from a customer service mm. role. That's gotcha. not what the people want. The people want great. When is my house going to be done? Great. What information can you give me? <laughs> great. I, yeah. But I need to know about the I bought you a personalized shirt for your baby. That's yeah. awesome. When's my home yeah. going to be done? Yeah. We And you know what? And, and that is one of those experimental things where you, you got to run with it and then you have to be like, oops, this was a mistake. People just want regular updates about their house. You know, we would make sure everyone knew every other Friday, your minimum, you're getting an update about your house, um, no matter where it is. So I think people um, really appreciated that. Yep. And that really helped, um, you know, stop the incoming calls of questions when people knew when to expect updates. I think Those things so seem so reasonable. Well, it does seem so reasonable. Such a smart, but but like but it, it seems totally okay, like to have that expectation. From Andrew, the it always side. goes back to, for some reason, and this probably happens in every industry, but we just don't feel it because we're not in it. It's like, why are we so bored with our own product that we build? Why do we feel like we have mm-hmm. to go to customized baby shirts or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And and not that you shouldn't do some of that, but again, to over-index and all of that, and to not focus on the product. This amazing like. I always, we're, we're not selling jeans, so we don't have to talk about the stitching and come up with some fake term for the fabric that we're using. That's the same as every other fabric. Like it's a one of a kind home in a one of a kind location, one of a, one of a kind home site. We should have unlimited amounts of interest ourselves in what we're doing. And yet there, there seems to always be this feeling like, well, the home itself is a commodity. Uh, I, I mean, mm. I'm sure for some builders that's true and you just have to work on packaging only, but most people will only focus on packaging when it comes to how they talk about the product. Anyway, I'm not sure even sure how we got there, but let's move on to the, yeah, and there's more in the article in terms of breaking those out, but let's talk about the seven different approaches that people are currently using. And again, no judgment necessarily. Um, I I think it's more fun since this isn't in writing, it's only in podcast form. Um, I don't mind giving a little bit more opinion mixed in here, but but this yeah. is how people are doing it currently. And let's actually just go from the bottom up this time. Okay. Um, so number one, 
pause sales entirely for a set amount of time. I was talking about in the story, hey, we're just going to hit the pause button. No more selling. That one's um, maybe the simplest, but the most dramatic and traumatic <laughs> for the sales and marketing organization, for sure. Because the biggest thing that brings up is, uh, one example is a CEO who said, well, I don't want the online salespeople setting any more appointments then because why would I compensate any type of conversation or appointment setting activities when there's no sales to be had? Kind of the entire company is in one big pre-sale without fail moment. Mm. Not right or wrong. I'm just saying those are the other things we have to think about. And so if we're pausing sales, do we also pause conversations? Do we pause appointment availability? Yeah. Do we pause the ability to become a lead? Um, there's like, I feel like the buyer perspective on this could be quite terrible. They're like, oh, you're just not doing anything. I think it could give a sense like, wow, that they have a lot more control than I realized this builder. They could just decide I'm not talking to you. Like that they have the power. I think it's, it's pushing my perception on that is like, oh, you could do whatever yeah, you want. And all these things right? for sure, messaging would matter a lot. I was quite talking earlier today with someone and it hit me that like, I, I love camera gear. And sometimes when a new camera comes out, you go on BNH photo com and you go to try to buy the equipment and it says out of stock. Other times it says notify me. I, I don't know why builders like notify me is a much different message. It is this is yeah. for a time being. I even like that better than backlogged or backordered. Mm -hmm. Like notify me whenever this becomes available. Please ping me. Why don't you just shoot me an email, shoot me a text, however I sign up and say, hey, this is now available again. So to what you were saying, Andrew, if it just said, hey, you can't meet with us, I'd be like, yeah. well, this is incredibly Ooh. scary because this They're builder's shady. going under. Like they don't have the yeah. financial ability to do business apparently. Or yeah, your bank like, said, no withdrawals for two weeks. Like, yeah. Huh? That, uh, mm -hmm. Or imagine if, you're, if you just signed a contract, say Friday, and then Monday you go to the builder's website and it's like, we're pausing everything. That would make me like, you just put down 10, 15, 20, whatever the deposit amount is. And you're like, ooh, I'm nervous now. Like, I, I might try to back out of this thing. Like, what, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Yep. The next one is sell with escalation clauses on costs in your agreement. And this one could work, I think, relatively well as long as there is extreme, and I, I mean extreme, amounts of upfront communication and, and expectation setting followed up with by regular and transparent communication. This is not a, well, we just add a piece of paper to the agreement, don't really reference it, talk about it, and that just gives us the ability to increase costs whenever we want, so we're protected, end of story. Well, you might be protected financially, you're not protected from terrible Google reviews, BBB reviews, and other things when, when you do this. And I think another interesting idea here is, right now, everyone's like, well, if they don't want to pay the extra cost, that's awesome, I'm going to get an inventory home. Again, this idea of cycles and timing and, and the impact that it can do on a company, well, yeah, you, you do want inventory homes now, but whenever you actually start getting large amounts of them because people don't want to pay those increased costs anymore, you're not going to want to take on any more inventory homes at that time, mm -hmm. whenever that is. And imagine so. if their design options were not so friendly for the majority of your buyers. Yeah. It's like, they picked this strange color. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that's one question is like, how do you, if you're an entry-level builder, as an example, uh, you still are getting hit with extreme cost changes. 
But your customer's ability to absorb that change is going to be much different than if you're a luxury custom builder, right? It's like, oh, hey, your price goes up by 10 grand. No big deal on a $2 million build. Uh, 10, 10 grand on a $200,000 build? I mean, that's that's real. That's ex extremely that's impactful. Issue. So mm -hmm. just because you put it in paper doesn't mean you actually are going to get it either. But again, as long as you're transparent, that could work. The, the, the next one that's really interesting, and I don't know personally the builders who are doing this, so I can't give a whole lot of insight, but we were on a coaching call with someone and they referenced that another builder in their marketplace, which is a national builder, but they weren't sure if they were doing this in other states, but in their particular state, everything listed on the website is essentially a, here is the price for this home, but that is a starting price. Please submit your bid, essentially, like an eBay listing. And whoever has the top bid will win. That's Yeah. That doesn't make me feel confident about that. No. Could there be a blend, maybe like home site auction bidding? Like maybe like that, the price fluctuation would be the same, but if the home sites are, say the community I built in, um, five to 20 was like the home site range and they could kind of bid. So maybe then the average home site would be a little bit more, could be something that could help, but I'm sure what the range of pricing on this was not, oh, we got another $3,000 for the home. I'm sure it was more like, oh, this was 30,000 more, 40, yeah. 50, 60. I think possibly the, there's other danger points here too. And one would be appraisals. So how do you make sure in a live auction format that the person submitting that also has the cash to cover the difference between market value and what they're willing to pay? So if I say, if I get really excited and I want to win and I offer $2 million on a $1 million home, well, I, if, if the appraisal comes back as that home is only worth a million dollars, someone's got to come up with the other million dollars. And what if your buyer isn't capable of doing that? So it's not going to be as simple as just submit whatever number you want. And the other interesting thing here is that um, this person was friends with the sales manager who was doing this eBay approach to, to sales. And they said that, you know, they have to notify everyone if they are or are not the winner. And when they notify the winner, the immediate reaction for about a third of the people is kind of like, so I'm the dummy who paid the most. And it wasn't yeah. all, you know, butterflies and rainbows. And if that person then decides not to proceed with the transaction, which in spending time with Anya, she referenced, and I thought this made a great point. This is similar, but, but somewhat different to real estate agents where you submit an actual contract with a check. If you're doing this all online and you're just saying, tell me what you think you're going to pay, and there's not a pre-signed agreement with a check attached to it, in a multiple offer scenario on an existing home, this, would, this scenario wouldn't happen where someone would be like, well, I won, but I don't want to proceed. At least not as likely because one, you're getting the home immediately if it's an existing home. And that's the other thing. I, I'm not certain if this builder is only doing this on inventory or if they're doing it on new builds as well. New builds would be extremely hard as a consumer mentally to go through that process of bidding, knowing that you paid the, the most of anyone and then having to watch over the next six to 12 months as the market continues to fluctuate. And imagine if the market declined a little bit, that would be incredibly painful to go through. That would be painful. And imagine the community where now you're living with other people who will then 100% talk about this bidding process. Oh, what did you pay? Like just the the potential for everyone to really not like that builder is is quite high, I feel like, compared to an existing home scenario where that's just the way it is and you're not buying your home the same time someone else next to you and next to you and next to you and next to you. 
is also buying their home. So it's it's little you can't compare your price versus five houses down because the the time when they purchased in yeah. a home itself is not the same. And then here's Chad Sanchegrin's comment on this idea. He said, I will tell you my opinion on lotteries is that if you are doing that, we should shred your core values as a company, <laughs> as usually the two don't mix as it appears you're treating buyers as a commodity. The litmus test would be whatever you do, filter it through your core values missions of your company first. It's great. Great point. All right. Next up, price increase every X number of sales. This one's been around since the dawn of time in our industry. And as long as the price increase is relatively small over time, this, this can work in, in most market conditions. It doesn't work now when the costs are not rising at a predictable rate. So that's, that's really the main thing is if you do that, there's almost no question that you're, you know you're going to give up margin. You just don't know how much. And so this one seems to have mostly fallen by the wayside. I would say as a percentage, my hunch would be of the builders we work with less than five to 10% are, are using this approach still, even though many of them did, you know, from 2012 until recently, just, just too much volatility and costs. I mean, yeah, think I about think, it. I think there's a lot of confusion too, for buyers. Cause all of a sudden they'll show up and be like, wait, how much is it again now? You know? And I think that just it's already starting off in like a bad experience uh -huh. with some people. When we talk a lot about commodity costs and how they've changed, but over the last couple, couple of weeks, we've had multiple builders for the first time in years say, can we start running ads for contractors like labor too? Like we want to steal labor from the other guys. Can we run some, some Facebook ads some Google <laughs> ads and use landing pages and, and get some, get some framers, get some concrete masons. Um, so I think those costs are likely to only get worse in the short term, even though traditionally, again, commodity prices rise and fall relatively quickly uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. Quickly, meaning a quarter or two, they'll start to, to, to even out. All right, next up, reservations with or without base pricing. This one I do think has a, a lot of genius in it and might be one of the ones I'm, I'm more tempted with personally if I was a builder. And this is letting people reserve a home site. Notice I said reserve. It's not a sale. Reserve a home site for an amount of money. I think personally in the market conditions now, I'd probably be tempted to use whatever the home site premium is as the, as the reservation amount versus just $1,000 or $2,000 because that's, that's, that's not enough money to really control necessarily what's happening or get enough buy-in from the consumer, but let people reserve a home site. And then the genius part is they're not telling consumers what the price is of the home they want to build. The base price of that floor plan is until they get within a window of actually being able to start construction. 60-ish days around there. And so that protects them on the cost side. Most, most home building companies lock in the majority of their costs for a project or at least have locked in bids on material and labor when that job starts. So if that window from sale to start is smaller, then you have much less risk on the pricing. The big pushback on this, which I even gave the first builder that I heard doing this about two or three years ago was, yeah, but what's the conversion rate on that? And they said, oh, so historically 91%, Kevin, 91% of the people who reserve end up going to contract after we give their pricing. And then I looked at them sideways like a curious dog. And I was like, so are you not making enough money then? Or like, is your price, like, that's almost a too high of a number 
Yeah. If, if you're letting people really reserve good. a home site for six to nine months before development's done or it's ready to go, and then 90% of the people, like, again, back, you only get to sell each one one time. I'd be like having a nine out of 10 close rate of walk-in traffic in your model. You'd be like, we need to raise our prices. But even as prices have increased dramatically, the average is still around 80 to 85 of the builders using this type of methodology. Now, you have to give some type of range to people. So, you know, you still have to be like somewhere in the 300s to 400s is where the, it's, you know, you still have to do some, some basic Something. estimation. But there's a lot more protection. It's kind of like what Tesla did when they rolled out the Model Three. They said, "Hey, give us a thousand bucks. You reserve your place in line. We don't know though when you're going to get your car." I think this one is more of what the future will be. Just thinking, not in this moment, but like what of any of these we've talked about. And there's still more to talk about. Will still be usable in two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. I think about projects down here. Where I'm uh -huh. like, I know a builder is going to buy that land. I will want to move there whenever that happens because it's a better location it'll be new and so if they say they secured the land it's going to happen but the build it out it's gonna be two years from now like i'd put down the money for the reservation even though i don't really have an idea of the floor plans but if they gave the general pricing on it it seems i don't know totally doable like we do that now like with other things in, in life so this seems right. like it just makes sense it's not like it's unnatural like it seems almost yep. like oh it's very customer focused like that's pretty cool like i could not have to worry about the details, but I get a spot in that community in two years. That's when I'll be ready to move and have whatever set up to finance that yep. ahead of time. And there's a lot of questions people have about how do you, in any of these scenarios, how do you do this fairly and, and equitably? And you know, the, the only real fair way to do it is to notify everyone at once. And there's only so many tools <laughs> uh, that will allow you to communicate to a large pool of people at the same time like how the default is an email alert of go here. And and what's interesting is everyone kind of shudders. I'm like, Oh gosh, that's a terrible experience, but that is fair. Everyone gets the email as long as they're geographically in the same time zone, they're getting it at the same body clock time ability to respond. And again, like any other product that is sold, it's either available unavailable, or you can say notify me, but that notify me doesn't guarantee you that once I get the email that my camera is now in stock and I can order it, I still have to go in and click it. And if I'm too slow, it's going to be gone. And is that frustrating? Yes. But I think the most frustrating thing is over promising and under delivering or stringing people out and saying, we're definitely going to get this home closed by the holidays, which if you say that, we, someone mentioned mm. that on a coaching call and I was like, oh, do we have to say holidays? Like the most emotional, stressful. It's like telling a, a pregnant mother that we're going to make sure you're in your home before the baby's born. Oh, that, seems oh, that sounds like you're setting yourself up for some. You know, Jackie's just shaking her head with a disapproving <laughs> look. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't. Please don't. So that that's what everyone hates. And that will absolutely burn you. All right, last two that are that are similar enough that I just for the sake of time, let's group them together. The idea is here you're creating some type of priority list. Some people call them wait lists. My wife frankly said wait lists are stupid. I would never want to be on a wait list. Okay, Which is good. Quote. We have strong feelings in the Oakley household. I also hate if your website says request information as a call to action. I hate that. She hates the term wait list. But the idea is 
you have lists within lists. You have everyone who's become a lead, and then you have a priority list of those who have been responsive and are qualified in a certain criteria, right? And you can have additional lists within that quality list of the most qualified and the most ready to go, whatever that is. But in, in one scenario that I call priority lists with target dates, you're telling people the email is going to go out on March 1st. And the first two people who get it from that, from that smallest possible list, first come, first served. But it's going to be March 1st. The one without target dates is more flexible. And so again, I'm more drawn to this one of saying to the customers, we're not always necessarily sure, just like we weren't sure when toilet paper was going to be available in the store next or, or anytime a, a retailer has something that's in hot, hot demand. Hey, we're supposed to get a shipment on Tuesday. That's, that's an example, concrete example of, well, then you show up as a consumer trying to buy the toy for your kid show up on Tuesday when they're supposed to get the shipment and they're like, Hey man, sorry, the shipment didn't come in. I'm supposed to get a truck tomorrow. Maybe and like there's this whole, like, <laughs> why does no one know? So, so by saying a target date, I just think you're putting limitations on yourself and, and potentially setting up some frustration without target dates. You're saying, Hey, as soon as we have availability, we'll let you know, which means that if the market does start to turn, or maybe you get a lot of extra capacity for construction for some reason. Framers fall out of the sky with wood in hand and they're ready to start building. Then guess what? You don't have to wait for March 1st or April 1st or any random date and time. It's kind of like price increases in, in this current market. Say it in a price increase for a date and time, not relevant. You've got to be able to move faster than saying two weeks from now we'll have a price increase. So you still have the same list, but you give yourself more flexibility of how many sales at any point in time you're able to take. Cause there might be a period where you just, you need to take six weeks before you take the next sale. But Hey, our policy says every four weeks we release two more. So everyone's going to riot if we don't. Whew. That was a lot. Ooh, there's, I think there's uh, so many. There's probably more hidden ones. We don't even know about. Yeah. Well that, and that's why we want to make this living document. If, if you're, if you feel like your builder is doing something other then those seven things that's different um, that you would like to share with everyone else, definitely email me at show at do you convert, S-H-O at do you convert.com uh, or hit me up on LinkedIn or somewhere else. Let me know what's going on and I'll, I will update this document and we're going to try to keep it as a, as a living definitive guide. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Let's wrap up with two uh, quick short ones. The, the first one, this is from Inman.com. A new camera promises 3D home yeah. scans in 15 minutes. 15. It was interesting on the timing on this because we were just asking in the Facebook group we were. about what type of camera people were using a Matterport or you know using an outside firm who uses Matterport cameras definitely was the, the runaway winner. But one of the things that people often underestimate is how long it takes to do a Matterport tour in the best possible way of, say, a 2,000 square foot home. It can be an easily an hour or longer process, depending on how many locations you set up. And so that was what caught my eye about this headline was to scan a, th a home in 15 minutes, that could be a game changer. And I can't tell from the picture really what size this device is. I but know, it looks I'm on like, their site now. It looks ginormous, right? It actually looks like it's just a Ricoh Theta on top of another device or an a, a Insta360 Okay, I found Nimera. a picture of the case that it goes in. You know, uh -huh. It comes in like this, you know, gun-looking case, like you're going to the range, if that's your thing. 
or you're traveling and you have this thing. But um, it looks like it's maybe two and a half feet tall in total. Okay, so that base is is the it's bigger chunky. part of this. Yeah, interesting. But there's no dimensions on it. Okay, but you know, then I, you put it on a tripod. This is very confusing. Yeah, I did play around with checking out, you know, this compared to Matterport, and I think that the benefit is it, it sounds flashy. But <laughs> Kevin, I think you made fun. I read the book uh, How to Lie with Statistics. I was like, okay, well, mm -hmm. what's the average? What do you consider an average? This what? What are the comparables to make it 15 minutes? And, and when I looked at it and compared it against Matterport, it doesn't do the. It it kind of creates like a two. Um, a two color floor plan versus the dollhouse floor plan, which I mm -hmm. thought was actually a, like a negative to this product. Um, it does positive, um, you know, it doesn't have a monthly subscription like Matterport, but at the same time, you know, I, I still think that's the information regarding like the benefit of this is there's just something missing. And I think it's just like, okay, great. Yeah. We can do it in 15 minutes cause we need it quickly. But I, I don't know if it is better than Matterport when I compared the two products. So this is super interesting to me. This camera is a Ricoh Theta Z1, which I think that camera is like $600 to $400, okay. depending on where you look online. So this is a consumer 360 camera, the Theta Z1. And then they're putting it on their own device, which I think is adding LiDAR functionality so it can detect actual depth. So it's it's gotcha. it's taking the, three, it the actual 360 quality of the camera will not, I feel fairly confident in saying without even seeing it, will not be anywhere close to a Matterport. Mm. It's, but it is gonna have better 3D spatial um, restructuring of the image than a Ricoh Theta would on its own. It's, it's a super interesting idea of taking something kind of off the shelf and then just adding on your own tech on top of it. But this is, this is definitely an example of the headline sounds super sexy. I don't think, I don't know yeah, that I'd be I, tempted to try this just, one. It doesn't seem like, especially with the Matterport camera pricing dropping, I think to like 1500 bucks or something we mm -hmm. saw, I would mm -hmm. go with that. It does take longer time, but it's like anything else. Like I record home videos now in, in, in 8k sometimes. Why? I, there's not, I don't ever load anything in 8k <laughs> anywhere, but someday you're going to yeah. want to watch it in 8k if you can. So a little bit extra time with the camera, I think I would still go that route. All right, and then last one, um, what was that show that sold out for like a bazillion dollars that the G Good News Daily or whatever, what was the name of that? Oh, Some Good News, yeah. Yeah, Some Good News. Is that, did Damn, that ever come back office. on? It was supposed to come I back on with like someone else. And quarantine and I like have blocked anything out that came out of quarantine life. Because we're in Florida, <laughs> like Florida's whatever, like, like that yeah. April, that March through like July-ish period. Anything that happened then, I'm like, I'm not dealing with that stuff. Like I was saying that and I haven't left my house in a year. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, which is, it's so different. Like yeah, polar different opposites parts of the country. country. It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's interesting. That's our echo chambers that we're, that we're in. So this is from the good news, goodnewsnetwork.org. And the headline is Kenyan woman startup recycles plastic waste into bricks that are five times stronger than concrete. And I just, I love everything about this. Obviously, someone in another country being more innovative with less resources is kind of cool. Yep. But also this idea of plastic waste in particular, you know, one of the things that happened, I think, as part of the pandemic was that China stopped purchasing and other countries stopped purchasing our recyclable waste. And there's documentaries on this that you can see where we were selling our waste to other people, but because of 
the inability to move things around and just cost it, it, that that market's gone. And so now there's just piles of plastic waste piling up everywhere because it's not it's not feasible from a from a pr price standpoint to recycle it everything. She makes she makes these bricks and the, the smile on her face and the, the brick itself looks cool. And this is the type of innovation that we need more of. I, I just I thought this was fantastic. It does. Check that out and then also watch the video. And if someone can take this video that's at the at the bottom there, Plastic uh -huh. Bricks in Kenya, I put it on our Slack, and make the same type of energy and excitement for a home or a community, just like the, the first five seconds you watch it. Uh -huh. If you could do that, I, I want to see that and I will share it all over the place. Like, it's just boom, 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 boom. And it gets you like, oh, I have to watch this thing. Yeah. That's well, what video should be, I think. For I agree. Ads. The energy level for a plastic brick is off the charts. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> we'll post the video in the Facebook off. group. And of course, it'll be a link in the show notes to the article as well. But I just thought that was a, a great story to end the episode on today with a little positive note. Yeah. And uh, this week's question of the week, which we've already uh, put up. Let's see what the early voting is. Although I don't, well, I can't dissuade you because it's not a vote. It's a poll was, have you made any changes to your website that gives more transparency on pricing, availability, or sales process changes? So far, half, just under half the people said not yet, but likely soon. Just under half also said, yes, they have already made changes. Uh, one person said no, and another person said, Laura Ownby said, I'm just waiting on my new website to do exactly she that. She must be excited for her new site. <laughs> yep, yep. So go check that out. Give, give an answer. We'll pick someone's answer at random for a $50 Amazon gift card. And with that, this week's episode is officially over. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.